The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Power Trip of Wrestling. This is another edition of Who Is? I am your host, JP John Paz, and of course with me, the other man in the booth, the doctor himself, Mr. J. Michael P.S. Jargo. Jargo, what's going on? How you doing? How you doing, Paz? I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired, man, after watching, you know, like 10 hours worth of Wrestle Kingdom in the last couple of days and the, the death of NXT and a little bit of Monday Night Raw, see what's going on with Brock Lesnar. It's, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, but of course, it's time to sit down and talk about who is over the course of history. And I got to say, I love this show because I get to do research for this show and I sit down and I start doing the research and I'm like, oh, yeah, damn, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like going down these little rabbit holes is uh, it's quite entertaining for us as the people doing the show as well as the listeners. So thanks for having me back. Yes, no problem. And I think this is great because obviously around Wrestle Kingdom, this is the perfect topic. Who is the best gaijin? Who is the best foreigner? Meaning non-Japanese wrestler over there. And of course, Wrestle Kingdom being the biggest event of the year in Japan. Pretty good timing, I think. I know uh, Rick likes to stay topical, but I rarely do. But this one was a perfect chance to stay a little bit topical. And one guy who I don't have him anywhere remotely close to the top of the list at this point, but by the time it's all said and done, we may have seen in the main event this morning, Kazuchika Okada defeats Will Ospreay to become the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Pause. How do you feel about Osprey? Is Osprey does he even make your list at this point in his career? Not at this point, but he's on my sidebar list of like the young up and coming guy gins. And like if you go by Meltzer Star Ratings list, this guy's the greatest wrestler of all time. So you know you get you gotta include him, of course. But I think he's great. I am a big Osprey fan. There's certain guys that can do that style, and there's like a million guys who can't. Him and like right. Ricochet. I mean, there's a few guys who can definitely do that style. I know he's kind of evolved a little bit into more of a heavyweight style but i don't know i'm a huge osprey fan i think eventually when it's all said and done he's going to be considered on this list just because what a run he's had in uh, in japan he's still pretty young too isn't he like yeah, he's, he's in his early 30s i think is he finally in his early 30s no he's still 28 years old whoa that's it holy crap i would have um, said 30 31 wow I, so man he's the, got ways to go 
the thing is we got Osprey so damn early, right? Because he could do all the flippy Lucha stuff. And so he got on everybody's radar incredibly early. Yep. 28 years old if he stays with new japan pro wrestling and it sure seems like that's where he really enjoys being at he absolutely loves the japanese culture i know there's a lot of people that think that when his deal is up that he will come stateside do the aew thing i would not be surprised to see osprey stay in japan he seems like he really really loves new japan pro wrestling and it's been fun watching his journey, right? Because he comes in, the young snot-nosed kid who just needs to slow down. He needs to learn how to sell. Like, all these great, like Dante Martin. Everything we say about Dante Martin today is the same thing we were saying about Osprey, like, you know, six, seven years ago at this point. Pretty much, yeah. And if you think about it, he's great. He'd hopefully continue to be great. Injuries, of course, might play a role in that. He did have that neck injury. Hopefully he doesn't. I actually put down another guy on my sidebar list who was kind of the precursor to him, and that was Kenny Omega. And everyone was saying he's the best guy of all time. He's so great. Does he make your list? He's on my, like, kind of sidebar list. I didn't think he, you know, he could make the, the normal list. But to me, it was like, um, I don't know. I was kind of teeter-tottering on him. Not only do I have Kenny Omega on my list, John Paz, oh. I have Kenny Omega very high on my wow. list. I'm talking top three. Wow. Now, I, oh, my well, God. Well, well here, let, let's kind of talk about this for a little bit, right? Like, so, yeah. so he starts off as a junior heavyweight, wins the tag titles with Ibushi twice, goes on, wins the junior championship twice. There's a number six man in there as well, well, before he moves up to heavyweight. Then he moves up to heavyweight, wins the Intercontinental Championship. He's the only guy, Gene, to ever win the G1 Climax. He goes on, claims the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Oh, yeah, and he was the inaugural United States Champion as well. But If we're going off of accolades at this point, there's a lot of great names on this list, but Kenny Omega kind of blows them out of the water. He had a ridiculously great run over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. They did give him the ball. I mean, they big time gave him the run. Obviously, the Okada feud was big. Winning the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship was big, and obviously all the accolades you mentioned as well. He did have quite a run. I mean, he's, I guess, really in hindsight, he should be considered uh, I wouldn't put him that high on my list at all, but definitely has to be considered. Sometimes with guys uh, of this age, I always feel like they feel like they need to give them resume fillers and like pump them up more than they perhaps need to be. Like, did he really need to win all those titles? Maybe not, but uh, he did have an excellent run in Japan. Well, see, and with Kenny, when you talk about all these titles, like really the only one that is kind of a throwaway to me is the inaugural United States champion. Uh, the U S title just has not taken off the way that they had wanted it to. But the thing that's fun and, and we're seeing it now with Osprey too, you go from like junior tag to junior heavyweight, and then you graduate to heavyweight and you go after yep. the intercontinental and then you win the G one, you claim the world title. Like it's this progression inside of the story of Kenny Omega. Um, Kenny's really, really high on my list, and especially when you talk about the modern day, what the awareness that Kenny Omega brought to New Japan Pro Wrestling and, and kind of the birth of New Japan World. Um, it, it's hard to argue that New Japan was at its hottest in probably the last 30 years while it was Kenny and Okada on top. 
What about Jay White? Does he make a list at all? Jay White is one of those names that I, I have kind of sitting off to the side, um, even though he has a lot of these same accomplishments, right? And I, yeah. I think Jay White is going to be a New Japan pro wrestling lifer, and he's very well could end up top five when all this conversation is over. It's unfortunate he feels so irrelevant right now when he is such an incredible talent. But Jay came up through the dojo system. He did the whole excursion thing. Like He is New Japan through and through, but he's, at the time he did it, he was the first ever Grand Slam winner. He was the first guy to hold the Never title, the IC title, um, the US title, as well as the heavyweight title. The I still... Now it seems absurd to say this, but when Jay White won the IWGP championship from Hiroshi Tanahashi, it was too soon. And it, it put Jay into this main event scene and it turned him into the star that he is now, but it wasn't supposed to be Jay White. They were they were building towards Omega Okada inside of Madison Square Garden. They wanted a gaijin inside of that matchup, so they take Tanahashi takes the title from Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Jay takes the title from Tanahashi, all so that Okada can beat a Gaijin inside of Madison Square Garden. I think it's pretty safe to look back now and say it was too much, too fast for Jay White, but he is so freaking good. Pause. How many wrestlers in the world right now do you think are better inside of the ring than Switchblade Jay White when it comes to his psychology and whatnot? He is just top notch. It's not many guys, maybe only a handful. Yeah, he's it's one a of the short best. list. Yeah, and he's another he's a, one of those guys that's still in his late twenties, right? Yeah, they got some good uh, future guidance, like for a long time, hopefully, in uh, Osprey and Jay White. Hopefully, the things that's going to be fun is when they turn Jay White babyface. Because I, I remember when Jay White was a white meat baby face when he was doing the excursion thing at Ring of Honor. And when yep. he first returned back to Japan, it was like, Jay White's going to be a heel? Jay White can't be a heel. He's such a good baby face. It'll be interesting to see what happens when that time comes with Switchblade. What about AJ Styles? Does he fall on your list anywhere? AJ, very high on my list. Um, and it's unfortunate that we didn't get more of a run from AJ Styles. Uh, AJ did a lot of little spot appearances for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but really it's the Okada thing. When, when he comes over, Devitt's on his way out. AJ takes over Bullet Club, at least storyline-wise. He, he becomes the face of Bullet Club, beats Okada in his first match with the help of Yujiro Takahashi. But he still dethrones Okada in his first match. And suddenly Bullet Club is right back on top, even though they just lost, you know, the, their founding member, right? But AJ has this fan base, even going back to his early days in TNA, where everybody felt like AJ should be the man. And when AJ left Impact, went to New Japan, he wins that title. Everybody was like, oh, damn, AJ's the man. In the Western audience, really started paying attention to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah. I, I like Kenny was the guy when it was at its peak height, but AJ is the one that put that Western audience put all those eyes on New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that's when people started seeing the likes of Okada and Naito and all all these mainstays that we hear now inside of the Western fan base. 
but it all started with AJ Styles, and that moves him very high up the list for me. So you also have the Killer Nakamura match from Wrestle Kingdom, which is still one of my top five favorite matches of all time. Those guys just go out there and freaking kill it. I got AJ really high on my list. Where, where did you put him on yours? Um, he's kind of hovering around the top ten, just because there's so many other like awesome gaijins through the year so it was tough but to me he was the guy that broke through and got everybody interested in bullet club everyone's like oh but finn balor and carl anderson's like no when he joined the group is when everyone took notice of the bullet club and then the merchandise started popping off people like holy shit he's the you know world champ already he already won the iwgp title as soon as he went over there he was having great matches with everybody i feel like i don't know i always like his matches better than the omega matches the omega matches sometimes with all those great guys, they're great, but it's like almost a little too fast, not enough selling. AJ, I like that, a little bit slower, more selling, different style each guy. Every time he wrestled Okada, it was a different match. They did like this super slow match, and they did the fast match, but there was always great selling. I love his match against Minoru Suzuki in the G1, one of the best finishes I've seen, that, that like straight right hand that just buckles his knees. Yeah, Awesome. I mean, just awesome stuff. It was so funny. Match of the year, all this other stuff, but Meltzer didn't give it five stars. It literally made no sense whatsoever. Like his thought process is just completely insane sometimes, but that's a completely different topic for a different day. But I was like, man, AJ is the one that set it off and like put Omega in that position to be like a top guy. When, when you look back over the course of the last, I don't know, 20 years inside of the world of pro wrestling, let, let, let's just say since the, the turn, right? Like since WCW went out, WWE became the the biggest game in town, the birth of TNA. Uh, Is AJ the best wrestler of this generation? I mean, like we we talk about Joe, we talk about punk and and it seems like they get all the headlines, even low key weasels his way in there to that conversation. But I feel like it's AJ styles like above and beyond over the, but he just doesn't get that respect for one reason or another. It's weird. I always think him and Danielson are like one and two, and you can kind of reverse them and put them in whatever. But for some reason, yeah, he doesn't get that quite respect. It was weird. Omega came along, got all this accolades. I was like, right. AJ, AJ set it off. I was like, come on, guys. Like, weird. Yeah. And, and what really set it off, too, was it was about the time that AJ went over where they changed to that skull and the, and the gun crossbones. Yeah. And it was yep. that T-shirt that really yep. set it off. It was just when they put the championship on AJ – it was just such a declarative statement that that's when Bullet Club really launched off. And then ROH and them had that good working agreement. They started working some big shows. Hammerstein, which I was at, great show. Uh, War of the Worlds back in, I think it was 2014. So, I mean, really, really, um, he set it off with the Bullet Club, and I feel like should get more accolades than he does, for sure. And the thing is, it was all within like two years. I mean, yeah. like it, it yeah, was just, run. Yeah. It, it was, you know, that Stone Cold Steve Austin, just white hot heat that AJ was just killing it when, when he left TNA and everybody was kind of perplexed as to what was going on. He's growing his hair out. He's got the soccer mom AJ thing going on and him and Dixie is kind of playing out on TV and it's just, it felt very, very awkward because the situation was awkward to begin with. And then he shows up in New Japan, Ring of Honor, and it's just like, wow, this dude just completely reinventing himself again. He was already one of my favorite wrestlers, and look at what he's doing now. 
Then he debuts in the Rumble, possibly one of the last huge surprises that you're going to see. I'm so happy that place popped for AJ Styles. Otherwise, it might be a very different world that the WWE exists in. And now I just think of him as a WWE guy. It's weird. Yeah, yeah now he's popping up on NXT all, all, all places. But he's so good, he can just adapt to whatever situation he is in. Let's talk a guy... That maybe a lot of people might not know, but they probably should if you know your history. We were talking a little bit about him off air. Technically, I consider him Japanese, even though he's really Korean, but they used to pretend he was Japanese. And that's Ricky Dozon, who obviously him and Luthez had some wars, him and uh, Destroyer. I mean, there's, there's so many different things with him going through history. I feel like, well, really, Luthez is, is, the, is the real real deal feud and did 50 million people watching and you know all that other stuff but what about ricky dozon i know you uh have very high recommendations of ricky dozon when you look back at japanese pro wrestling history i mean baba is up there anoki is up there but i feel like the name that stands above all of them is ricky dozon because we wouldn't have we wouldn't have all japan we wouldn't have new japan if it wasn't for what he put together um it's insane. In, a, in an era where we talk about TV ratings on a week-to-week basis, Ricky Dozon drew an 87. 87. Pretty insane. I mean, 87% of all households with access to a television was watching Ricky Dozon. It's absolutely insane. The accomplishments are, are just ridiculous. I, I, I don't know how... How can you explain to somebody who has no idea who Ricky Dozon is in, you know, 90 words, who he was? I mean, he he's really the founder of everything that we would come to know as Japanese professional wrestling. I, it went from being spot shows to real promotions on Ricky Dozon's watch. He's definitely got to be considered, but I wouldn't. I know I didn't necessarily put him in the list just because they basically never treated him as a gaijin. They always treated him as Japanese and, you know, obviously Anoki's mentor and his trainer. So to me, I never considered him. I did put him on the list and definitely wanted to mention him, but I just wouldn't actually consider him just because they literally would pretend that he was Japanese. Yeah. And, and it was that time period too. Yeah. And, and people were taking to him and it was like, they just didn't want to shit in their Cheerios. You know, like that, that's really what it came down to. It was like, hey, it's pro wrestling. Believe whatever you want to believe. Right. Typical, typical of pro wrestling. He's just I don't know, a huge draw for them. And obviously the foundation of, of really Anoki and New Japan and even all Japan to a certain extent. And Baba, was, yep. It was because of uh, the Ricky wrestling Dozan. coalition that, that Ricky Dozon put together. And then when it split, that was when we got all Japan pro wrestling and New Japan pro wrestling. Yep. So I believe the the huge buy rate or the huge TV rating was Ricky Dozon versus Destroyer, right? That was the one that, right. that broke records? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, with the Destroyer, too, you got to throw his name in the hat, no? Well, I mean, you have to mostly because he was opposite of Ricky Dozon, right? I mean, like, right. that, it was the right place at the right time. Um, and it's funny because as I was going through and doing the research, everybody – it just basically compares him to Mil Mascaris. 
Oh, well, okay. You know, and, yeah. and it's like, wow, yeah, that's exactly what they were going for. I had never thought about it in inside of that kind of context, but yeah, that's exactly what they were going for. When you look at the mask and whatnot, it was just a complete ripoff of Mill Mascaris. With uh, the Destroyer and Ricky Dozon, you got to mention Luthez, obviously, as well. I mean, these were going old school, old school for sure, but they all had a huge impact on Japan and kind of, uh, you know, were the uh, the bricklayers, if you will, for the uh, the Japanese scene. I wish we had more of that video footage. Yeah, you know, like the the American pro wrestling video footage from you know the fifties, sixties, even a large part of the seventies is really, really hit and miss. It's that times a hundred with Japanese pro wrestling. Yep. So the destroyer, obviously, big time. Ricky Dozan's big time. Luthez. We're talking some old school guys. Let's go a little bit. Not new school, because we're probably talking about almost 40 years ago. But what about a guy like Bruiser Brody? I want to put Bruiser Brody number one on this list because I just I, I freaking love Bruiser Brody. I he's he's not number one, although his tag partner might be. Um oh. Brody, while he was in Japan, was just an absolute freaking monster. And one thing I think that kind of gets lost and New Japan, even still, does a really good job of framing to where, like, you don't realize Tomohiro Ishii is like five foot four. You right. know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, like, even Okada, who is one of the bigger guys on the roster, you know, you're looking at like, you know, six three, and they're just not large men, right? The Asian population are just not large men. And then you send somebody like Bruiser Brody over there who's just absolutely freaking insane waving his chain. Like everything felt so dangerous with bruiser Brody. Cause he was like a foot taller than some of these people. It's insane going back and watching the video footage of Brody. And, and when we talk about like that era, like the, the late seventies, early eighties professional wrestling throughout the world, I think Brody is probably my favorite wrestler. Like I, I would have been a huge bruiser Brody fan back in the day, but the accomplishments just aren't there outside of the tag team. Definitely one of those guys where it's like Bruiser Brody's on the card, immediate interest, obviously. Yeah, you got to see it. He's one of those guys. It factor times a thousand. Like you said, the, the height, the chain, the gimmick. Him just being nuts. He's pretty good worker. Obviously, and it felt so worker. authentic. Like yeah. I, I was shocked to learn that Mr. Goodish wasn't a complete freaking psychopath, right? right? Like, because he just, and his wife said in the uh, dark side of the ring documentary that there was many times that she would drop him off at the airport and she would just watch the switch flip, you know? And it's just, yep. I can't imagine freaking bruiser Brody, my God. But just think about it. I mean, him in Japan, what a draw over there as well. Oh yeah. Huge star in Japan. One of those things where, you almost didn't even need to, like somebody else who was his tag partner. You almost don't even need to come back to the States and make money if you don't want to. And obviously you go to Puerto Rico and all this other stuff, but you almost don't need to. You're making so much money over there. And I, I feel like the problem with Brody is a lot of the guy gene at that time would kind of bounce around between the promotions because they would get bigger paydays that way. I, I do wish that it all would have been in one place. You know what I mean? Right. Like yep. that, that to me, and, and a lot of the guys from that era would bounce between all Japan, between new Japan, 
doing the independent scene, doing all kinds of just crazy one-off spot shows. I wish that it was more structured like it is now where you were going in and doing full runs like Chase Owens on his way back to the U S right now. He's been over there for six months, you know, or it was just a consistent run rather than, you know, just a lot of these spot shows. It's crazy to think like what guys can kind of get over in, in Japan and what guys don't, you know what I mean? It's like who gets you, man. If you look like a monster. Yeah. Yep. The monsters get over big time over there. They absolutely love it. It's like, you know, the, the Godzilla thing, something you don't see all the time and they scare you, but you're so interested in them. So we're talking Brody, obviously. So that means we have to talk a guy who's extremely high on my list, the tag team partner. What about the Lariat, Stan Hansen? Yeah. And I mean, Stan Hansen was like the epitome of the dirty white man coming in and just beating up our national heroes and taking our titles. Um, Japanese pro wrestling and its original form post-World War II kind of focused around the gaijin coming in and beating everybody, taking the title, and then the Japanese hero would have to rise up and put down the big bad American. And even still to this day, there is an element of that inside of the booking in New Japan and All Japan. Stan Hansen is the only guy that I can find on record that pinned both Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki clean. He's the only one I can find that beat both of them clean. One, two, three. As well as, you know, four-time All-Japan Tag League winner. The, the, the team, Hanson was scary enough. Brody was scary enough. You put the two of those guys together, and it was just absolutely freaking absurd how scary they were to the Japanese audience as well as a lot of the Japanese talent. And if they didn't feel like doing business, that's fine. We'll just go over to the other company. And the thing with him is he really didn't need to come back to the States. I know for some reason the AWA thought like, okay, we'll give him the belt and he'll stay over here. Nope, not interested. And he's probably going to run the title over with a bit with his car. You know what I mean? Like he's just not interested. I know he was U.S. champion WCW for a little bit, but that was because he was only here for a few months and they're going to flip it between him and Luger and then he's going to go back to Luger. So that part kind of makes sense. He's only going to be there for a short time. But AWA thought, oh, yeah, we'll give him the world title. He'll stay over here for longer. No, he doesn't want to. He wants to have a family over in Japan. He likes it over in Japan likes the culture. They love him over there. He gets paid great. He's having a great run with all these great wrestlers. He's one of those guys didn't need to really stay over here and come over here at all. Yeah, and, and there's part of me that wishes he would have just stayed in Japan, right? Because yeah. I, I I feel like Stan Hansen, and there's several names on this list, whether it be Stan Hansen or Brody, or I'm sure we'll get to Vader. You know mm-hmm. where they feel like they were just, they were such a bigger deal over in Japan. Scott Norton is probably the best example, right? Where he was just an absolute monster, former champion in Japan. And then over here in the States, he's just a background NWO kind of guy. Yep. It's interesting with Hanson, you know, four times he's the triple crown champion. So he's the king of the mountain over there. He's the top dog, but it almost is like, man, um, 
the American is like the guy that the Americans are trying to pull over to America <laughs> instead of the opposite where like the Japanese normally be like, oh, this guy Vader, I love this guy. Let's pull him over to Japan. It was weird the way it worked out. He just didn't want any part of the United States scenes for a long period of time. I mean, he'll come over here and do some, do some shots and stuff, but he really is like basically like a Japanese guy. You know what I mean? He became a, like a Japanese citizen almost. Yeah. I mean, in a modern context, it's very Kenny Omega. Right. Like, I mean, Ken Kenny was absolutely a, a, a white Japanese guy at a certain yeah. point. Right. And it'll be interesting to see when or if he ends up going back. So that's the thing. That's why I didn't have a mega that high. I feel like he's got to go back. You know, I feel like he's got to have another run there. But Hanson, he's got to be very, very high up on the list. Unbelievable. He used to scare the shit out of those people with the, the bull rope and everything else. And, Man, I know the stories about his vision and weren't good, so he would lay it in. And man, who did he ever just watching the match the other day? You know, somebody on Twitter they always put up highlights and stuff. Man, he took Misawa's head like clean off. I was like, holy crap. I mean, he would yeah. just stiff the shit out of these guys. Who whoever it would be, Kobashi, Kawada, Misawa, any of these guys, he was killing them. Awesome stuff. How much how much of that is why he didn't work in the States? To where, like, people just didn't want to work with Stan Hansen, but yet, you know, like, strong style over there, like, those guys are like, oh, okay, we're, we're going to be stiff. All right. Well, yep. then let's be stiff. And it's just, it got over huge because it, when, when people want to talk about the, the choreography and the predetermination aspect of professional wrestling, do, do you think it really mattered who was going over? If you saw that you were in the ring with Stan Hansen or Bruiser Brody, right. you were going to be hurting the next day. I love the story of, okay, Hogan needs an opponent. They're going to put it eventually on Hulk Mini 6 to, 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 to tape. You know, they, they're doing their little team up with, with, um, with Japan and, and the WWF. So Terry Gordy is supposed to face Hogan. For some reason, he doesn't want a job. So, and, and you know, supposedly he doesn't show up. So who do you get? You get Stan Hansen. You get an awesome match, different than a lot of Hogan matches we were used to at that time. But yep. he didn't give a shit about jobbing. He'll, he'll knock Hogan's head off, but he doesn't care about jobbing or losing anything. Didn't hurt him one iota. But it, obviously, you know, it helps Hogan. It helps WWF. makes him look good. But I love that he just steps in. It's like, you guys need another top star? Gordy's one top guy. I'm another top guy. I'll put him over. Pin me, pay me, but I'm going to take Hogan's head off in the process. And that match, probably more than most other matches, felt like Japanese Hogan over here. Yeah. Right? And I know people talk about it all the time, like, oh, you don't think Hogan was a good worker? Well, go watch his New Japan stuff. And it seems so stereotypical of a response but it's freaking true. Like Hogan over there was stretching the absolute best of the best and showing off his, you know, Matt scale chops. And he just didn't have to do any of that inside of the WWF because Vince didn't want him to, you know, it, it wasn't that Hogan couldn't wrestle. It was just not the presentation that Vince wanted for the Hulk Hogan character. But I mean, w when they give you the nickname Ichiban, you're doing pretty well. Hogan was mega over in Japan. They even brought yeah. him over after he was WWF champion to face off with Muda over in Japan. So I, as much as I'm not a Hogan fan, but God, that Japanese stuff, it's like watching a completely different character. Oh, he's way up there on, on my list. I don't know about of you. Of course he is. I don't know about you, but he's way up there. But I, as a little Hulkamaniac pause, 
how would you have felt about Hogan if you were seeing those Japanese matches at that given moment in time? Because it's it's a very different presentation for Hulk Hogan. Very different. It's, and it's interesting to go back and look, like you said, like that stereotypical answer. Like, yeah, but if you're watching Japan, stuff's pretty good. And he's damn good over there wrestling a, a, a whole slew of different guys, including a bunch of gaijins like Abdullah and Banish Brown and, and, and Bundy and all of these other guys you kind of throw in. Even in, Andre. In Andre, yep. I mean, a bunch of guys, but he was just great over there. And I do love in the 90s when he kind of comes back and he's wrestling Hanson and Tenru and Fujinami. And those matches against Muda are both great. Um, I just think like, wow, this is pretty damn cool to see this kind of a different side of the Hulkster who really would turn it up in Japan. I even liked it when he returned in 03 and fought Chono. I even liked that match because it was different. The To me, my, my favorite Hogan matches are the Muda matches. Um, I, I just think that it's absolutely incredible to go watch the great Muda inside of that context. You know, my question to you, would that match have gotten over in the States? If they, if they would have presented the, the Tokyo dome match between Muda and Hogan in the United States, the the same exact way, would that have gotten over in the States at that period in time? I don't know. Cause we weren't used to seeing that side of the Hulkster. So I don't know. I don't know how it would have been received. I would hope it, greatly but you never know with the fan base they might have been like oh this isn't the uh you know the putting the uh, hands over the years hulk hogan that we're used to yeah it, it's just it's so different and i mean the context is all there you know what i mean it's it's like by that time you're used to seeing hulkamania brother you know and and to see him face off with muda in that match it's just like you're watching a completely different guy with the Hulkster, I mean, he's high up on my list. Maybe not as high up as Hanson, and maybe not up as high as another guy that we kind of briefly mentioned before. What about Big Van Vader? Vader was an absolute freaking monster. And he was terrifying, and the presentation of Vader was terrifying. I mean, he was the American kaiju, right? Like, he looked like an absolute freaking monster, and Vader was another one of those guys like Hanson and Brody that absolutely embraced Japanese strong style. And another one of those guys that I feel like was so much more over in Japan than he ever was in his WCW or WWF runs. Do you feel that way too? I feel like he was a God in Japan. You know what I, I mean? mean? Like there was a different level. He was, he was awesome. Even UWFI, Takata, I mean, those, those, those uh, three matches, you know, really, I mean, they had some more and some different styles, but those three big matches that was set up for that year long run was like, man, this guy is literally treated like a God. I mean, like even in the posters, remember he's like this yeah, just gigantic horse and you got this little Takata there who's going to try to be yep. the, uh, what, what's his name? Um, Jack and the beanstalk almost, you know, he's trying to knock down that beanstalk, uh, David and Goliath, if you will, just funny that he was literally treated like a God over there and yeah. really because he destroyed an the first time out. And I mean, that spoke volumes and it was the same thing with Hogan too. Right. I mean, when, when Hogan, yeah, Hogan beats an to Knocked be the first out, yeah. IWGP champion, you know, like it, that, that's going to move you up the list a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, I, the whole like headgear and like the shooting smoke and everything like Vader presented as an absolute monster. And then he backed it up inside of the ring. I Vader very, very, very high on my list. 
Vader's a god, no doubt about that. It's funny, like, when you think of certain guys, it's like, wow, why couldn't he be more over in the States? He was in WCW, you know, to a certain point, was champion for almost a year and actually a few times champion there. But it's funny, it's like, should have been WWF champion. Obviously, Michael screwed him over and he was supposed to win, not Sid. And, I mean, there's just different things, but it's like, man, even he goes back to Noah and he's like kind of a god again. So it's like, I don't know what it, it is that they couldn't, in the States capture what was captured in Japan because, you know, we're not blind. We see the guy's freaking awesome. I mean, he's one of the best ever, one of the best big man ever. It's like, why couldn't they capture what was going on in Japan? Cause if you get over there, you can get over here and they blew it. I feel like inside of the WWF, it was a very occupational time. Right. And, and then you throw Vader into that conversation and it was, he was so different that it, it was like, he just didn't fit that roster to me at that time in they needed him too but like he didn't right um it's kind of like uh the dr death thing when he came in to wwf it was like he just didn't fit the the roster dan severn just didn't fit the roster when they brought him in um in wcw i felt like they tried to talk up vader and make him feel like he was a main event guy but they didn't like show us any of the Japan stuff, you know, like it felt like such a different presentation and it was, it was kind of like WCW telling us, well, this guy's a big deal. And the fans were like, eh, I'm not really seeing it. <laughs> when he would beat sting, that's like, you were like, wow, you got to take notice in this guy. But then right. Hogan comes in and he can't beat Hogan. But every time he loses, it's kind of like this wonky kind of like, what the hell? Like he didn't really get beat strong kind of thing. So it was weird. It's like, they're keeping him almost like on the back burner, right? But not giving him that that big push. Like he should obviously should have beat Hogan. I mean, there's kind of no debate in that. But just interesting to see some of these guys get booked. Like you mentioned, of course, guy another guy very hard on my list, Doctor Death, Steve Williams. The way he was booked in Japan versus the way he's booked over here is crazy. Outside of when you know Watts has him, and he's obviously pretty good in UWF, and they bring him back to WCW, and him and Gordy are dominating the tag division for a while. But like. That old Japan run is just amazing against all those guys. Him being a main eventer, him just tearing down the roof. It's funny, all the quiet Japanese crowd, they would go nuts and right. insane as soon as you hear that Kiss song, um, Live It Loud or whatever. So, I mean, they were nuts for him. They were nuts for his finishes, nuts for his matches. Dr. Death Steve Williams was awesome in Japan. It's just a shame that WWF and even the, the last run WCW was just like, eh, like whatever. The problem was to for Dr. Death to do what Dr. Death does. He had to be in there with a certain kind of opponent. And those opponents just didn't exist on the WWF roster. And yeah, like imagine him suplexing Steve Austin, like it's not going to happen. You're going to break, you know, break his neck over. over. Right. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and that was the problem. You know, he, he was probably the best worker in the company but you got to have a dance partner in order to go out there and work like that. Yep. It's funny. Uh, obviously, you know, he loses in, in brawl for all. Remember when he returned and he suplexed and bark gun, like literally throwing him 10 feet on the yeah. top of his head. Just like, uh, yeah, this probably isn't going to work out. And death of yep. death, you know, unfortunately, but you know, he's killing it in Japan. So I don't know. And again, like why couldn't the, you know, they can make it work here. Why can't they make it work there? Crazy. And we just mentioned, of course, his tag partner, Terry Gordy is another one. What a god and what a legend. He just kind of didn't really, uh, obviously, minus the Freebird stuff. I mean, as, as a singles competitor, didn't make it really work too much over here in the States. While in Japan, main event or legend god, you know? Well, and again, it was Gordy was a guy who liked to go out and fight. 
and the, the Japanese talent are like, oh, you okay, we can, we can do that. And so they would go out there and they would just have a fight. And you get that respect for showing that fighting spirit from the Japanese audience. And the Western audience just wants something completely different. Unfortunately, that's that's really all it comes down to. I mean, you're right. Gordy was a huge freaking deal in Japan, um, but it just never clicked on that level here in the United States, where it was more of a, a choreographed dance. Where over there, he was he could punch people in the face, and and they were fine with it. You come over yep. here and start punching people in the face, and you know suddenly you can't work there anymore. It's funny too because you just look at it and you're like, okay weird that some guys didn't get over in the states so a lot of the fans over here are like oh maybe he wasn't that great i don't right. know you go back and you watch some tapes and like terry gordy dr death like no these guys are awesome they screwed up royally over here and they should have been bigger than what they were than what they were even ecw you know they'd bring him in and you know they'd put their guys over on him and stuff and you know he wasn't the same gordy but it's just i don't know they always anywhere in the states i don't know they kind of missed the mark on, on especially to me hansen to a certain degree but gordy and williams for sure well, and I, I feel like it's just the presentation and what the fans want. Um, because, I mean, even somebody like a Shinsuke Nakamura at this point, who was over huge in New Japan Pro Wrestling, yep. he comes over here. And, I mean, the, the closest thing that he had to a New Japan match over here was the match with Sami Zayn the night that he debuted with the company. Right. And other than that, it's a very different presentation for Shinsuke Nakamura versus the king of strong style they were presenting over there because you, you think Shinsuke Nakamura is going to have that match with Randy Orton. I mean, like Orton's not doing three quarters of that shit because he's smarter than that. And he has to be on TV next week. You know, like it, it's just, it's a very, what the fans want in an American context versus what Japanese fans want two very, very different things. And I think that's the reason some things get over one place and not so much in the other. What about, you mentioned briefly before, what about Scotty Norton? He's another guy, a killer over there, uh, multiple-time IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, very rare for a guy, Jin, of course. Yep. So it's one of those things where, again, he's kind of fodder for NWO over here. He's kind of not, not doing much over here. We kind of you know pumped him up, oh, it's Scotty Norton, but then you know they fire an ice, and then Vicious and Delicious, and he's really not doing much in NWO, but in Japan. He's a force to be reckoned with. They love his offense. They love his style. They love his look. They love that he's an awesome arm wrestler. I mean, everything just seemed to fit better over there than it did over here. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we don't get more of the Scott Norton career over there. Because um, even now, like, he shows up for, like, a, the Rumble or something. And the place goes absolutely freaking crazy for Scott yep. Norton. Um, probably one of the larger Gaijin talents of the last, you know, like 30, 35 years, as far as name recognition in Japan goes. And you're right. The, the, the other names on the list, you know, you start talking about guys like Brock Lesnar, Kenny Omega, they get all the accolades and everybody loves them over here. Scott Norton's just kind of forgotten about, you know, and it, I've never understood why Scott Norton didn't catch on over here. Other than no company ever seemed like they wanted to fully go in on Scott Norton. Yep. You didn't have Lesnar on your list, did you at all? No, I don't have Lesnar on my list because... Too short the, of a run, right? Too short of a run and too much controversy surrounding 
his time over there. The same thing with Kurt Angle. I don't have Kurt Angle on my list either. I feel like there's a bunch of old school guys just to want to mention, and then I'll get to some names that really are very high on my list. But like when Harley Race or Jack Briscoe or Dusty went over there, always treated like a huge star, always treated like a huge name. Obviously, Giant Baba, a few of those guys, Harley and, and Jack, like, okay, I want to win the uh, NWA title for a week. Right. All right, give me $10,000. Apparently, this was like between the guys and not really the NWA. So I don't know if they would get pissed or not or say anything or do anything about it. It didn't seem like it. But Harley Race and Jack Briscoe were coming home with probably 10 grand more than they were supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all, you know, the money and the politics and what went on with Sweet Sweet Charlotte over the course of the years. Yep. It would be a very, very fascinating book just to write uh, all, all the times that belt changed hands that it's not recognized by the NWA. Yep. So I got to put another guy on my list. I was thinking about putting him number one just because I know you love this guy. Um, I guarantee he's not on your list. What about Johnny Ace? Does he get any love or any recognition? No? No, no, no Johnny, Johnny Ace. Ace doesn't get any <laughs> love or recognition. He was awesome. Come was? on. No, Come on. I mean, he was just I, – if you're going to put Johnny Ace on your list, I can only assume that you have Trent Beretta on your list too. No, no. I mean, that, that, that that's kind of how I feel about Johnny Ace in, in that context. But he's one of those guys too. He's a complete joke. But like yet in Japan, you know, treated like a star. Obviously did some booking and everything else over there and known as being this great finish guy. But he's, he's one of those guys that's funny. The Japanese definitely have a different thought than a lot of us do, like Joe Camaro, dynamic dudes, oh, yeah, people power. Like they definitely have a different perception of him than we do over here. Yeah, and and Johnny Ace was a much better worker than what a lot of people give him credit for, especially to go back and watch some of those matches against the premier Japanese talent. Uh, but no, no, he doesn't. No, no. Did Chase Owens make your list? No. Yeah, Johnny Ace doesn't make mine either. Yeah. What about his brother and his tag team partner? What about the Road Warriors? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, at the, the Road Warrior pop was global. You know, what the Road Warriors did was strong style here in the United States where they just, you know, lit, lit, left a trail of hellfire and brimstone behind them as they burned down territory after territory after territory japan was no different they went over there and did the same thing and as, as much as we talk about hansen and brody and how scary they were um hawk and animal had very much the same kind of effect but with scary face paint and I, the japanese people were just absolutely terrified of them they looked like monsters coming out there just absolutely destroying people it was great to watch as long as you know you're not the talent on the other end of the ring do you think it's very important to have top gaijins over there? Because it seems like if there's top gaijins over there, that's kind of aligning with them making the most money. I know this year, the pandemic, they made a slight profit. and There was a lot of issues. But do you think the gaijins is that much of an important role? Because it seems like even a few years ago when Jericho came in, Chris Jericho, and he kind of infused some big business, it seems like if there's a top gaijin, even if it's one or two or a few guys, that seems to really light a fire over there in the fans' asses and gets them to the shows more often. Yeah, absolutely. The Gaijin put a lot of asses in seats because the Japanese culture is still very, very nationalistic and they want to see the Japanese guy beat Whitey. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that that's we saw it with Kenny Omega. Um, yeah. 
Kenny Omega was about as close to a Japanese man as you could possibly get. And at a certain point, he, he basically turns babyface. He has all the respect of the Japanese people, and they are fully behind the chase of Kenny Omega dethroning Kazuchika Okada as IWGP world champion. And the second Kenny Omega won that belt, it was, yay, good for you, Kenny. Now get our belt back from Whitey. Like it, it was just like the fans turned on him just immediately. Like, okay, yeah. that was, that was, a, that was a fun ride. Now, now, now somebody beat the white guy. Like, you know, it was suddenly none of that Japanese stuff, Matt. Now I was watching the other day, old footage. I'm not sure the match, cause they just showed the entrance, but this guy is an absolute monster. You want to talk about Kaiju and all this other monster stuff. This guy is the monster of all monsters. He literally was chasing the fans. They skedaddled and scattered. I mean, I've seen it with Brody Hanson, but this is like everybody from the section skedaddled, and he would be throwing the chairs around. And if anybody came close, he'd take the chair and throw it around, and they would all scatter again. What about Andre the Giant? Absolute God, and over there, even more so. Even more so, uh, because he was two foot taller than everybody else. And he could do whatever the hell he wanted, whenever the hell he wanted, and everybody knew it. Um, to go back, because I, when we grew up and we got to enjoy Andre the Giant, we, we got to enjoy kind of feeble, brittle Andre the Giant. And they did a great job of protecting Andre. He was still the spectacle that he was. But to go back and find Afro Andre running the ropes and diving over the freaking ropes and just do taking arm drags I, all kinds of insane stuff right like andre could move and my god there i could not imagine the spectacle of I, i've seen the japanese wrestling matches there, there's a ton of them on new japan world where you can go and find these matches it's incredible how agile andre the giant was at a certain point in his career love it he was it's, awesome. it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The only what? thing that holds Andre back, right, is is the Maida thing, right? Like Andre and Akira Maida went out there and had it's probably Sting and Jeff Hardy level kinds of controversial match. Um, where you even see like a Noki coming down to ringside and calling this thing off. And, and then they never talked about it. Uh, footage of it has basically been scrubbed where Andre just laid down for Maeda and was like, pin me. And, and they're in there shooting on one another. Um, I, I feel like that absolutely hurt Andre and his drawing power in Japan, where there's, there's such that respect built into the culture to go out there and have that kind of an experience happen really hurt Andre the Giant. And then he came stateside, like, basically permanently. What about Dory Funk and Terry Funk? Two great gaijins, two legends. Maybe even could be separated, but I want to just bring them up together. What about the Funks? Um, I, the thing with the Funks is it's a completely different style, right? Like, we can talk about AJ Styles and Kenny Omega, even what Andre was doing, uh, what Hogan was doing, and the Japanese people also have a bit of bloodlust, and uh, the Funks absolutely played into said bloodlust, um, and they did it through all kinds of different promotions. I mean, 
the some of the stuff that was going on over in FMW what is still some of the most insane professional wrestling that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, if you want to see what they were trying to do with the exploding ring in AEW, go watch yourself some old school FMW matches. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and funk was just like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Terry in particular is just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go out there and, and have that match. And what the hell were you thinking? Terry funk, my God, it's some of the, just, most ridiculous, insane professional wrestling that you're going to see inside of like a death match sort of context. It was crazy. What about Abdullah the Butcher? Very high on my list. I mean, number one. All right. Abdullah is kind of in the same mode as Whoa. Terry Funk, where, where, where he's going to, you know, he'll take a fork and stab it into your freaking head, right? Like that, that's a signature spot for Abdullah. But the the sheer size of Abdullah the Butcher, not necessarily in height, but in width, you know, it, it was almost like you were getting a little bit of the sumo uh, popularity amongst the Japanese people mixed in with like the deathmatch stuff. And people were terrified of Abdullah as well. They should be. He still just terrifies me. Like, I, I don't even like watching Abdullah the Butcher interviews. The guy just creeps me out. Yeah, definitely a huge star over there. Definitely a huge, huge star, star over there. Well, another one of those guys that kind of didn't really need the States. You know what I mean? He could just go over there and make a shit ton of money and come back. It's scary monster. You know, he had great matches with uh, Brody. And you know, obviously then he would go to Puerto Rico and have legendary matches with Carlos Colon. But it's one of those things where it's like, man, he didn't even need to leave Japan either. No, no. There's a lot of those guys in that era and they were making more money in Japan than they were making in the States and yep. working only selective dates because the business was just booming over there. Another tag team I have listed here. What about the Steiner brothers? Probably my favorite tag team of all time. The Steiners in the United States sort of context were one of the most athletic, well-tuned tag teams I've ever seen in my life. You mix that in with the Japanese strong style and what those guys did over the, it's incredible to go back and watch Steiner brothers matches over in, in new Japan. When they did the tour of all Japan, even the late matches, like, cause I think they had a match over there, like wrestle kingdom two, something like that was like their, their last match over in Japan. So, I mean, even like fairly recent, like, when you look at the historical context, they were so athletic and they were so freaking good to watch those guys work strong style in, you know, the mid nineties is absolutely incredible. And I think both of them would have been huge single stars if they would have wrestled more in Japan rather than signing full-time with WCW. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Man, they just mesh so well together with that Japanese style. So good. Perfect. So good. And I mean, they were great over here. Like I, they were going out there and having a completely oh, different yeah. style match that, than what most tag teams were. But I over in Japan, it was even better. And it, it's just incredible to go back and watch that footage. Just another guy that I have listed. What about wild Pegasus, the Pegasus kid? What about Chris Benoit? Man, that's really, really, he got big time noticed over there. It was like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, it helps when, you know, your your main rival for your career is Jushin Thunder Liger, 
right? I mean, that absolutely helps. IWGP junior heavyweight champion, one best of super juniors, 93, one super J cup, 94. And then he comes over to WCW. I get my question to you, John pause. And I don't know if this has ever been discussed anywhere and I've just never seen it. What if the radicals did not go to the WWF? What if Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit would have returned to new Japan pro wrestling, how big of stars could they have been in that late nineties, early two thousands kind of context over there? I mean, we might be talking about them at the very, very top of this list, especially Eddie just became such a, a different performer than when he was over in new Japan. The first time I would have loved to have seen the crippler and the, the black tiger return. Yeah. It would have been pretty awesome. Imagine that. Holy shit. Man, instead of WWF taking all WWE's talent and yeah, oh man, crazy. And they could have done it easily. They were both huge stars over there. Yeah. Uh, the only other guy I, I had listed, and you can tell me if I forget anybody, but Dynamite Kid, of course, Benoit's mentor. Yeah, Dynamite Kid was absolutely fantastic. Whether uh, he and Tiger Mask to me, yep, re- is still. Like the definition of if you want to see a five-star junior heavyweight kind of presentation, that's it. Like those guys just go out there and tear the freaking house down. Um, I wish Dynamite would have been kind of like we were talking about with Osprey. Like I wish we could have seen Dynamite mature into that performer inside of a New Japan kind of context. But of course they come over and and the Bulldogs come to the WWF. Um, If Dynamite's run would have been longer, I think he would have been very, very high on the list. Anybody I forgot? Uh, Not necessarily forgotten, but there are a couple names I do want to throw out there. The Young Bucks, seven-time IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, 2013 Super Junior Tag Titles. Uh, Rocky Romero, eight-time Junior Tag Team Champion. Um, And I think Rocky might be the most important guy gene certainly not the greatest but over the course of the last you know 20 years the the everything runs through rocky romero when it comes to the americans uh tamatonga seven time iwgp tag team champion four time never six man champion uh i I feel like ricochet absolutely belongs just in, in the conversation as a footnote machine gun carl anderson iwgp intercontinental champion four-time tag champion won three world tag leagues mvp the first iwgp intercontinental champion uh just to throw a couple of names out there but i feel like the big one and if he would have stayed he might have been the top of this list john pause is prince devitt Hmm. Uh, prince devitt three-time iwgp junior champion he was the first junior to challenge for the iwgp heavyweight championship and really elevated that entire junior division to what we see it to be today with el desperado and hiromu takahashi six-time junior tag champion won two best of super juniors two j sports crown open weight tournaments in the six-man divisions I Devitt was a huge freaking deal over there. He was just being poised to move into a heavyweight context. He might have been Will Ospreay, but you know, five, six years earlier, he might have been the first guy gene to win the G1 or to win the IWGP heavyweight championship in a in a modern context had he just stayed over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. All right. Who is 
the best Gaijin of all time. Who's your number one? Well, I mean, if Ricky Dozon is in the conversation, then Ricky Dozon is my, is my number one answer. If he is not in the conversation, then I will go with Stan Hansen as my number one Gaijin of all time. Oh, damn. I thought we might be disagreeing on this one, but we're not. Damn. I'm, I would definitely 100% was thinking Stan the Laird Hansen, even though you probably thought I was going to say the Hulkster, but definitely to me, Hansen just embodies Gaijin. One of those guys is like, wow, what a freaking draw over there. Like, didn't matter if he was American or not. He was a huge draw over there and kind of carried all Japan. Not carried them, but kind of carried them into the, the next generation. He was kind of like the bridge guy. I know, you know, everyone will say Jumbo when he kind of passed the torch. I, I think more it was like Hanson passing the torch to these guys than anybody. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Hanson was just such a big deal. He put so many butts in seats as he was running around, and people were looking for that Japanese hero to finally shut up Stan Hansen, and they couldn't find anybody to do it. It was absolutely incredible. And w- when you pin both Baba and Anoki, you know you were a big freaking deal. Yep. And hey, Got Kobashi, Kawada, Misawa got them all on the map to me. Yep. Um, I know with a little bit of Jumbo's help, but I thought he was the main catalyst for uh, for all Japan for sure. Yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com and of course Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo, what do you got? Social media at not Jargo, michaeljargo.com at markmedia.com. And of course, catch me over at the HMG, the Hameen Media Group channel attitude.com for all of the latest in professional wrestling. I feel like maybe in a few years, you revisit this list, talk maybe Omega, who's very high on your list, but maybe he comes back to Japan, gets a little higher. Uh, Jay White, Osprey. I mean, there's some guys here that they have some building blocks. Who knows? Maybe Jeff Cobb becomes a, a big star over there. Who the hell knows what's going to happen with uh, Japan? But there's some big guy gins definitely in their, uh, their foresight. I was really hopeful that night one of Wrestle Kingdom would end with Kazushka Okada throwing the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship in the trash, just bringing back the version four. And then night two, Tetsuya Naito could have drugged the Intercontinental Championship out to the mm. ring and uh, and said, you know, if we're going back to the version four, then I've got this piece of crap and uh, do Jeff Cobb versus Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. And in, in true Tetsuya Naito fashion, he would have lost that championship inside of the Tokyo Dome to Jeff Cobb. Nice. Would have, uh, would have been pretty good. But uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you to Michael P.S. Jargo. And we'll see everybody right here next week for a little bit of Who Is. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.